This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. But we did make a trade this week. We acquired a human being in exchange as the player to be named later for James McCann. And when that came out and I saw the Mets acquired a left-handed hitting first base slash outfielder who's played a couple of seasons in the Dominican Republic Summer League, I said to myself, holy crap, the Orioles gave us a human being for James McCann. So Luis De La Cruz, you may never play for the Mets. You may never even play above single A. But thank you for being a human being we got back for the corpse of James McCann. We'll probably have a good year with the Orioles. Can't you see that happening now? Oh, of course. But I I, I got to be honest. When I looked up, uh, was it Jorge? Del, not Jorge De La Cruz. Who was it? Jose De La Luis Cruz. De Luis De La Cruz. When I looked at Luis De La, De La Cruz, the first person I found was a 33-year-old catcher in the Atlanta Braves uh, organization hasn't played in twenty since like twenty fifteen. So I was like, "What is? I mean, I, I guess I guess we should be thrilled that we got anything back." So I was sat, very excited to see that it was actually a young prospect, a twenty year old. So that that would listen. It's amazing, and you're right. James McCann's going to have a decent season with the Orioles. A lot of less pressure. Like that's one thing I noticed. Some of these guys just can't handle New York, and I've talked to many guys about that. It's just a thing that's that's true, and a lot of people put the fans on that that note that they just. The fans are too hard on them, and that's the reason why some guys just can't handle it. Yeah, here's what I wonder about with James McCann, and I'll take the L on this because when they signed him after the 2020 season going into 2021, I thought it was a good move. I liked it. I obviously saw how productive he was with the White Sox in 2020, and he wasn't bad in 2019, and he had a reputation as a really good defensive catcher. So I saw the move, and I didn't hate it. Obviously, it turned out to be a disaster. Was it him not being able? Was it him not being able to handle New York, or was it the fact that what he did with the White Sox over half a season in 2020, and then most of a season in 2019 was just flat out an aberration? Because when you look back at what he was with Detroit, he kind of is what he is now. You know, was not much of a hitter. You know, would run into a home run every once in a while but hit about 220, 230. And so maybe we just got fooled by what happened over a small sample size. You know, you add up his time in 19 and the brief time he played in 2020, it's 150 games. That's all we were looking at. And I think the hope was, well, he's coming into his prime. So that 150 games are fair to look at because now he's 31. He's figured it all out. He's a quality offensive player. He's brilliant defensively. This is going to be fantastic. So I don't know if it's definitely that he's a guy that couldn't handle New York more than it was. We just got it really, really wrong with him. Yeah, well, the also, also the other thing is, too, it's like it felt the very, and again, I hate to say this name, but it felt very Wilpon-esque because the other guy that was on the market was Ramuto, 
And that was like the that's the guy to go for. Instead, we we get a catcher who's you know we thought oh well that's not bad for the price four years forty million dollars okay that's not terrible. And after the first year, you're just like oh man, we got stuck with crap. That was a whiff, no doubt about it. That was a whiff. But you know what worked out? You know, thinking about that off season, the first real off season of Steve Cohen, where we expected all these grandiose things. A lot of Met fans, I wasn't one of them. I think you were were really, really pursuant of George Springer, that he was the guy. Yes. And not that George Springer's been bad with Toronto, because he really hasn't. He had 25 home runs last year. He was fine. Brandon Nimmo has proven to be the guy in center field. And part of the reason we all wanted Springer, or a lot of us wanted Springer, going into 2021, was the idea that he's the real center fielder the Mets need. And the truth was, the real center fielder the Mets needed was underneath our nose the entire time. So even though Springer hasn't been bad for Toronto, missed a lot of time in 21, missed a little bit of time in 22, but was still an all-star, don't you think the Mets were better off not signing him? Oh, no question. Because, again, at that time, too, you bring in George. Every We don't want to play, uh, what, Monday morning quarterback, but if we did sign George Springer, then we would have, A, would Nimmo have not played as much? Would we have pushed him to the side? We played a different position. Who would we had not have brought in because of that? So hindsight being 2020, a hundred move was never getting George Springer. And he's been a good player. He's been hurt a little bit in the center field. I mean, that playoff game, I mean, he. I think they had to almost cart him off the field. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, as that happened, my tablet, I was at City Field, fell on the ground and shattered. Oh, So George Springer was getting hurt as my tablet was shattering. Uh, I don't know why I told this story. It just it brings it in my head every time. Sparked the memory because you have a shattered tablet still? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I actually sent it back because I have Apple Care to get it fixed. And they said, we're sorry, sir. This is completely unfixable. <laughs> and I had to get a new tablet. That's the moral of that story. That was the collision in uh, Game Two of the Mariners Blue Jays game, right? Yes, yes. When the Mariners made the comeback, and, yeah. he, and he was already hurt prior to that because I remember him. He kept on landing into the center field wall, and he was always holding grip in his shoulder, something like that. Like I don't know what his off season's been like, but it's been a lot of recovery. I mean, if you told me that he doesn't start the season because he's still recovering, I wouldn't be surprised. It seemed like he was that hurt. That's the big knock on him. He just hasn't really been able to stay healthy, especially over the last four years. He just hasn't been consistently healthy. A couple of other... There are still three left-handed relievers available. I would take any of the three to add to this Met bullpen. Zach Britton, who I'm high on, I really think that Zach Britton could have a big bounce-back season. And it's not that, oh, Buck Showalter's managing him. It's that, think about this with Zach. In 2020, which is not that long ago, he was brilliant. Small sample size, but he was brilliant. In 2019, brilliant. In 2018, brilliant. Like, he's been a top reliever for about five years. 2021, he gets hurt. Okay, he needs Tommy John surgery. Not effective. Couldn't throw strikes. Misses the rest of the season. This past year, the guy didn't pitch. This was his recovery season. I know there was hope that he would be able to pitch and contribute down the stretch, but when he pitched, he couldn't throw a strike. Okay, I'm willing to throw that away and bet that at 35 years old, Zach Britton's got a comeback in him. David Robertson had a comeback in him, and then the Mets decided to pay him, rightfully so. I'd like to be on the side of, let's pay him a little bit, let's bank 
on the bounce back happening with us. Because I just don't think Zach Britton's career is over. Now, will he ever get back to being one of the more dominant closers in baseball like he was in 14, 15, and 16? No, but he doesn't have to be. So Zach Britton's one option. Andrew Chafin, who was the apple of our eye last offseason, is still available. And Matt Moore is still available. Matt Moore had his first breakout season as a reliever one year ago. So you remain a little bit skeptical that he can do it again. But he did have a great year last year. We also got the news that Pete Alonzo and the Mets agreed on an arbitration, or agreed on a contract for next year, avoiding arbitration at $14.5 million, highest for a first baseman. I was hoping, because I my friends in the Mets text chat him and sent me the link. Jeff Passan, I see Pete Alonzo, I see Agrees, I see Mets, I see these keywords jumping out at me on my phone. And for a second, I thought, we got a long-term contract. We're pulling in Atlanta Braves. Here we go. And then when I saw one year 14.5, I was a little disappointed because I want to get this thing done. I do. While I have confidence that Steve Cohen will pay our guys, the more I think about this, the more I say, I don't want to risk free agency. I don't want to risk it. Too much crazy crap can happen in free agency. Think about this free agency. Jacob DeGrom, oh, we'll pay him. They decide not to. He goes to Texas. Aaron Judge came this close to going to San Francisco. No matter what he says, it felt like it was this close. Why risk it? I I would rather get Pete and his agent in a room and say, you want to be a Met, we want you to be a Met, let's make some magic. Same thing with Jeff McNeil, by the way. Jeff's a little bit older, he's not a slugger, so you assume the contract's not going to be as... Big as grandiose as the Alonzo contract. Fair or not, that's the reality of baseball. Free agency is such a dangerous game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're willing to pay the most, sure, you'll keep your guys. But we have seen so many examples in the last decade of guys that we assumed would never leave their team, leave their team. So I don't know if they're active negotiations. They didn't agree on a number with Jeff McNeil. I don't even know if they were talking to him. Hopefully that means they could talk to him more about a long-term contract. But Alonzo and McNeil have this year and next year before they get to free agency. I would love to see that Jeff Passan bomb come in the next couple of days, weeks, maybe even months, that says, things done. Alonzo's a Met for the next 11 years. Jeff McNeil's a Met for the next six years. That'd be nice to see. Met signed a couple of international free agents. We will not hear about these guys again for about four years. That's usually the way it works. Daverson Gutierrez, a catcher. He's the 27th ranked prospect in the international market. Anthony Baptiste, who's the fastest guy in the international market. He was ranked 29. And Christopher Larez, a shortstop. Mets have had some good ones, though. Francisco Alvarez, obviously, international free agent. Alex Ramirez, who's now blossomed into one of their top outfield prospects, international free agent. Jose Reyes, 
international free agent. We've got a few. Edgardo Alfonso, international free agent. But I saw the names and I said to myself, okay, we won't hear about them for about another three, four years. That's usually the way it works because they're like 16 years old. What do you expect? And also, Pete, I did the research. You made a request and I am here to deliver. Oh, boy. What, which one is this now? Because I've made a lot of requests in my days. You have. And this was a good one. This was a really good one. So a couple of weeks ago on the Rico, if you didn't hear this, you can go back to the archives. We started discussing how some of these rule changes will affect the Mets in 2023. And one of the rule changes we were discussing was the pace of play and the fact that there's going to be a pitch ah, clock. Yes. And we examined how most pitchers violate the pitch clock or at least the new rules for the pitch clock. And we talked about a couple of the Mets that are really fast and a couple of the Mets that are really slow. And we examined how insanely fast Edwin Diaz was. Edwin Diaz's pace with men on base was one of the highest in all of Major League Baseball, which is surprising because usually relievers more than even starters will slow the pace down. So we went through those numbers, if you missed it, and I explained that Edwin Diaz, on average will throw the baseball between pitches with men on base at 19.8 seconds, which is incredibly fast and is even below the new rule that's being implemented. So Pete asked a great question. He said, do you think that led to his success? Like, what was his pace in 2021? What was his pace in 2019? Like, has that changed? Did that contribute to the brilliance of Edwin Diaz? Well, Pete, I have the answer. You actually got me very excited for this right now. Like I'm, I, I cannot wait to hear what the answer <laughs> is. I hope it's ex- as exciting as you built this up to be. I mean, I don't know if it's exciting. <laughs> <or not. laughs> All right. So in 2022, last year, when Edwin Diaz had the brilliant season that he had, with guys on base, he would throw 19.8 seconds. In 2021. He threw at 23.3, which is significantly lower. I know three and a half seconds may not not sound like a lot, but it is. Like, it's the difference from being one of the fastest working pitchers to being one of the slowest working pitchers. So Edwin Diaz improved his pace with guys on base by three and a half seconds. In 2020, his pace, 22.2, still very slow. In 2019, it was 21.2. So he actually was slowing down over the last couple of years. 21.2 to 22.2 to 23.3, and then all the way down to 19.8. With nobody on base, though, he always worked fast. So that didn't change as much. There's a little bit of a change, but nothing significant. In fact, in 2022, he actually worked slower with nobody on base than he did in 2019, which shows you, if you're looking for anything, like what does that mean? In 2019, the year he was awful, there was a five-second difference between his pace with nobody on base and his pace with guys on base. In 2022, there was less than a two-second difference. So maybe that's that's a huge difference, that he's not kind of purposely slowing down the way he would in years past where he would work lightning quick, and then as soon as a guy got on base, he slowed it down. 
So, yeah, there's a significant difference. Now, here's what's really interesting, though, Pete. If you go to 2018, that was the year he was great for the Seattle Mariners. He threw 20 seconds in between pitches, which is almost as fast as he did in 2022 at 19.8. So he was throwing it at a faster pace. And then for whatever reason with the Mets, that's when the pace started adding up. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, maybe he was in his own head. Again, you got... It, what we tell these kids, and listen, it's not the same level at all, but we tell kids like just to kind of get into a rhythm, keep pitching, take a deep breath, throw the ball, don't overthink it at times. If he's overthinking what he's doing, I mean, that can lead to a lot of his issues. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I to see that significant of a difference between 21 and 22 does jump out at you. Like, I, if there was less than a second difference, I'd say, ah, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. That's huge, dude. 23 seconds, you said it was? Yeah, but that wasn't the only thing. The other thing that's huge, and I think we've noticed this just by watching a pitch, is his use of his slider. Last year was the first time in his major league career where he threw his slider more times than he threw his fastball. And the velocity on his slider is up from what it was three years ago, uh, and he's just throwing it a lot more. So his his pitch usage is also different than what we've seen in years past, but certainly the pace has changed, so... I was able to look it up. Look at he you. works lightning fast. But it's not the cure-all because Steven Matz consistently works fast. And what the hell does that mean? Yeah, he still sucks. He still sucks. <laughs> <laughs>